HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Jerkel. I keep on saying the beginning in my head, the beginning of the British invasion, but this is actually the only British person I think I have on in the near future. <laughs> Lorraine Pascal, thank you so much for being on air with me. How are you doing? Fantastic. Um, you know, I have your book, Lighter Way of Baking, uh, Lighter Way to Bake, yeah. in, in my lap right now, and I was reading it on the train over, and I was already... Covering all the falcon wear. Mm. But even more so, I, I see this trend towards baking uh, um, that you explain in the book. You know, low sugar, low fats, you know, lower caloric. And you make it seem so simple and easy. And you make it seem almost uh, um, like the better choice. I don't even mean health-wise, but why wouldn't we have cooked like this the whole time? Mm-hmm. And th- this just feels like it gives so much clarity to the word baking. Yeah, I mean, I think that we all love a baked treat, a sugary, fatty, delicious treat. And I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to have these baked treats, but that were a little less naughty and not so bad on the tummy. <laughs> Are you a big sweet tooth person? I am. I do. I love sugar. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> White sugar. White sugar, brown sugar, honey, maple syrup, you know, whichever form it takes. Yeah. But there are so many forms. I mean, in the book itself, you talk about dried fruit being something to sweeten up both sweet and savory applications. Yeah. I mean, dried sugar, um, dried fruit is great, but it does have an awful lot of sugar in as well so i have used it in some places but i've used a lot of fresh fruit as well yeah so better so i want to talk a little bit about your life because y- you have a 
a lot in your past. You've done so I much. Do. <laughs> I have. I've done a lot. Yeah. I like to cram stuff in. I want to be busy all the time. Yeah. Well, let's start with, you know, where you grew up. Um, I, I was, was born in London and I grew up in Oxfordshire, the home counties, as we say. Yeah. And um, um, yeah, I went to a boarding school in Devon, Yeah. which is uh, in the middle of nowhere. Lots of cows, lots of sheep. Not Devon much going Char- on. Like Devon cream. Devonshire cream, yeah. cream teas, yeah. really quiet. Yeah. yeah. Not good for a teenager. You know, and, and baking. I mean, the the whole time I've ever looked at British cookbooks is always like, bake until done. And that's the only instruction. Oh, no. Was there finesse? I mean, was there something more to the food than it just being what it is? The baking in my in my book or just in Devon? In Devon. <laughs> in Devon now, um, there was lots of cream cheese, lots of, uh, you know scones and the, the clotted cream and jam and all of that kind of thing but baking back then was just something you really did at, at home rarely and the old generation would do it it wasn't something for the younger generation and now i think it's much more for the masses the younger generation everyone seems to be doing it well let's talk about the old generation um you know what very traditional baked dishes are there that come from well London? we have like a victoria sponge which is a classic vanilla sponge filled with jam and cream and icing uh, and sugar on the top um we have like the scones of course cheese scones would you say scones what do you what do you say no no i like hearing s- how, how do you, do you, say, what do you again? say oh i don't go by me i no, have say. a terror scones scones that's kind of a yeah hybrid yeah so it's <laughs> we say we say i say scone but yeah. there's much debate if it's scone or scone yeah yeah there's no debate here it's all you it's scone today scone. yeah scone okay <laughs> <laughs> so scones i mean scones from scones biscuits we don't have cookies we have biscuits yeah sort of shrewsbury biscuit filled with raisins you know very british yeah it's not a big pulsating cookie rich with dark chocolate and white chocolate and the yumminess that your americans have here with your biscuits it has a little snap to it too a little it has texture. a snap yeah rarely gooey but you hear things like devon the cream Mm -hmm. you hear shrewsbury biscuit yeah is everything regional is it from these small towns um well now we have this big thing where things are actually protected so if it's a devonshire cream and you call it that it actually specifically has to be made in devon otherwise you know you get arrested and your company gets closed down yeah so yeah we all do have this regional thing about foods yeah and from your region from devon aside from the cream Mm. What else proliferated? What were the big dishes? Well, in in Devon, obviously Cornwall's next door. So you have like Cornish pasties and you have Cornish cream, clotted cream, which is the thickest, sickest, most filling, rich cream you can ever get. Yeah, you say that with a big thumbs up, I'm assuming. No, it depends what mood I'm in. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely depends on my mood. Yes. So, I mean, growing up, you you were surrounded by all these wonderful delicacies of, you know, British cuisine. But... You weren't necessarily looking to be a cook, looking to be a chef, looking to be a cookbook author. No, not by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I kind of thought I wanted to be in the army. I thought I wanted to be a police officer. Didn't know, didn't know, you know, all these debates. And I certainly wasn't looking at all this delicious food that was around me. It was, I kind of grew up on pizza yeah. and chips, uh, pizza and French fries and um, fish fingers. Fish fingers. That's what I grew up on. Do you have I'm, fish fingers? I'm assuming what do you, what do you call fish them? sticks. Fish sticks. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up on fish sticks and yeah. french fries. Frozen food stuff. Frozen food, out of the freezer into the oven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and looking at this book again, it's so light and it's so fresh and airy. You know, it's, it's a big transition to go from that style of eating to this style of cooking. From, 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 the, from the fish sticks? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. I mean, I've always sort of liked healthy food when I actually had it, which was rare. 
But I think at school, um, when you're at school in the UK, as a youngster, you do a baking class, you do a cooking class, so you have to get your tin and uh, you get all your ingredients from home and you bring it in. And then once a year, you'll do a cookery class with a teacher. And I think that was my only sort of relationship with baking at the time. The army, a police officer. I know there's also hypnotherapist, car mechanic, these other ideas were in your head of professions. They weren't back then. It was um, only when I, I started modeling when I was 16. And then after a few years uh, of modeling, or well, quite a few years, and being over in the States and loving it, I just wanted to find a career that I really would um, make me tick, that I was really passionate about. I love the modeling, but also I just had my daughter and I wanted to live um, back in, in the UK. So um, I set about finding what it was to make me tick you know we all have a passion and you often meet those people who are doing a job they love and the people who have done it since since they were children they knew what it was they loved so i wanted to find that did you find that at like the craft service tables at modeling shoots because i don't want to no. gloss over that career because obviously there's this idea of body image as well um that yeah. comes into play when we talk about food was modeling you know align with how you thought of cooking and eating at that time uh when you're modeling there's not a huge amount of thoughts around cooking um but back when i was modeling um people were slightly bigger than they are now so they're much 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 slimmer that's ridiculous that you're i'm looking at you right now and you're saying that people were it, well the swimsuit models yeah. i did a lot of swimsuit yeah. and lingerie modeling so you so they were a bit more curvaceous yeah than perhaps the models that you see on the runways of paris milan and new york now yeah yeah l American L. American L cover, yes. Yeah. Sports Illustrated, yeah. Who else? I mean, Lagerfeld. I mean, everybody. From Banana Republic to Gap, J. Crew, yeah. Lots of the uh, American brands. And again, not, not to, you know, have this intrigue about what was served there. What kind of food was around the modeling community or on those shoots? Well, actually, they always had fantastic spreads of food. So there was lots of salad, lots of bread, there were lots of desserts, lots and lots of food. Yeah. Yeah. Was there a point where you said, this is crap, I can do this better? No, not then. <laughs> it wasn't that. It, it, was, it wasn't a jump from modeling to food. There were lots of sort of changes in between to find which, which thing I actually wanted to do. Yeah. Well, let's talk about those changes that inevitably got you into the kitchen. I mean, from modeling, what were some of the explorations? Well, I just sat down. There's a book called uh, What Color Is Your Parachute? And it's about career changer, career, or changing your career or indeed finding a better place within the career you're in so one of the things it said is to write down all the things that you love doing so even if it doesn't make sense and you think you can never make a career out of it write it down so that you know i love cars i love sort of all the whole psychology thing um i liked interiors um so i wrote all those things down and then it said to sort of try and make if you could make a career out of it what would it be so that's what i did yeah do you still have that piece of paper um, I think I actually wrote it in the back of the book, so probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's amazing to hear these career paths, but more specifically, you find something such as food and embrace the hell out of it. I mean, th this is something that you've gone to school for multiple times. Mm -hmm. um, what did you initially enroll in? in Initially, I was still modeling, so I enrolled in a 10-week course, which was one, once a week, you know, in the evenings after work. So I did that, totally fell in love with it. And then there was a, a year-long diploma to do, uh, like Cordon Bleu. And I thought, right, I'm just going to do it. 
so i just jacked because when you're modeling you don't work for a while then you get a big job then you so it's difficult to actually give it up because there's all these temptations financial carrot dangling yeah. in your face all the time <laughs> so i thought no i'm just going to say to the agency i'm not going to work and i'm going to focus on my cooking which is what i did yeah so tell me about some of the first wonderful things well, and mishaps when i went kitchen. to cookery school i thought it was going to be all sitting around drinking cups of tea and <laughs> eating sponge cakes and cooking sponge cakes but what i didn't realize it was it was a whole d- d- drama that comes with cooking lots of the people had invested a lot of money the course was incredibly expensive so not only had they spent a lot of money on the course they'd also they wouldn't be working for a year right so this was serious this was business this is not messing around this is career change you know uh, and it was lots of cooking, lots of theory, lots of tests, lots of exams, lots of tantrums and tiaras with people, you know, walking out and someone's souffle was crushed by someone else and someone took someone else's sauce and you get marked at the end of every day. So everything is very, very serious. Yeah. I, I don't want to bring up Downton Abbey, but I'm assuming maybe you watch it a little bit. I have to confess, I don't. Oh, Lord, you're the only one. I'm the only one in the whole of the United yeah. Kingdom that does not watch Downton Abbey. <laughs> and the U.S., too. We're just enamored by it. But in, in that show, you know, one, one of the characters eventually goes to cooking school. And it seems, like you explain, so competitive. It is incredibly competitive. So how did you become the cream of the crop? How did you rise to the top? Um, I think I just focused on what I was doing. I focused on studying really, really hard. And I knew how important it was and uh, is to me to do the best so I can always go to bed and know that I've done the best I can in yeah. that day. And, talk, that, and that's good enough. Let's talk about staging because you've been in some pretty amazing kitchens in London and beyond mm-hmm. as well. Where did you work and whom did you work with? Um, I worked in Tom Aitkins. Um, he has a Michelin star restaurant in Chelsea. Uh, I've worked in uh, Gordon Ramsay's restaurant and Petrouse, uh, done stages in, in there. And a restaurant called a Gilgamesh in Camden, which was the first place I worked, which is an Asian, Asian restaurant. You know, and it was good to be able to go to different places and learn different, so many different things. Uh, with amazing chefs. Yeah. I mean, was your focus on pastry, on baking, or did you work garment? Shay, the line? Um, it was initially, um, the, the diploma was a year and it was everything on everything. And then I decided to focus on pastry because I just loved the whole, the beauty of it, the way you formed it, um, the oohs and ahs you get when you take it to the table. Yeah. And obviously the sweetness. And it's also the last dish of an entire meal. It's what people remember the most. Yeah, if they get to it. They get to it, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, this craft, it, it's such precision. Did you ever have that in any of your other careers where things had to be measured out to, you know, the no. the milligram? And it's funny because I'm not that precise in other things. But when I'm baking, everything has to be so precise. The exact measurements have to go in. The cake has to be completely symmetrical. Everything has to be perfect. Yeah. I love the head notes in this book because a lot of them are like, well... When I did this wrong a thousand times <laughs> yeah. and then finally got to it, you know, it's, it's a revelation. It's an epiphany. Yeah. So you, you don't mind going through trial and error, but you are yeah. very, you know, sure once you're there that that's the way to do it. Yeah. The thing is with baking, it's a chemical formula. So it's an, it's approved equation. So most cake recipes are more or less the same because it, it works. There's the magic that happens in the oven. So if you're trying to play with that and tamper with it too much, inevitably sometimes the cake doesn't work. You know, so it took a long time for me to get to a balance where I could reduce the sugar and those kind of things, but still have a cake that tastes very good. Like, do you have words of wisdom, kind of ratios or very simple, you know, uh, tips for people about baking? Well, when baking, always follow the recipe. 
when you're doing this has got sweet and savory in it yeah. so it's got food that you can eat um if you want to come home from work and just throw something in the oven because for me baking is anything that cooks in the oven so i've kind of used artistic license to, to say that it's anything that cooks in the oven so i've got chicken dishes in there fish dishes all sorts i've got fish sticks really good fish sticks yeah they're not just any fish, fish fingers i've changed it <laughs> um so um yeah um you have to be precise when baking um, make sure that your oven temperature is correct because oven temperatures can be out by a, a large margin so buy yourself an oven thermometer and just check that your oven is what it says and um keep persevering because i know baking is a lot of people's um achilles heel but if you follow the recipe to the letter you will have a good product see it, it is like the opposite of my power animal is baking Everything falls, cookies burn, just, but I can bake but bread. But you're following the wrong recipes. I'm terrible. I know, I know you're telling me to do this and I don't do this. Try one of my recipes and see how you go. I'm trying a lot of your recipes okay. and we can go into that right now just because there are so many that I have questions about. Mm-hmm. Not not about why this or why that, but like, why isn't it here today with you? Why didn't oh. you bring me a slice of that? They're just also stunning looking one, mm-hmm. but... Uh, conceptually just sounds so smart. I think one of my favorites ends up being uh, the quickish Thai fish pie. Mm -hmm. Tell me about British fish pie, first of all. Well, a British fish pie uh, can be quite bland in flavor. So you have your fish and you poach it in milk. You add an egg, you know, and it's, it's it's not the tastiest. You put some mashed potato on top. Do you have fish pie like that? No, no, but I feel like it's a very British thing just to put mashed potato on top. Yeah. Shepherd's and it, pie. It's just not that tasty. So I wanted to make it with a bit of spice, a bit of oomph, and of course, lighter. So I added Thai flavors. You've got coconut milk instead of regular milk. You've got your green curry paste in there. Um, and, and then you top it with phyllo pastry, crispy light pastry. So you've got a bit of crunch rather than just this sogginess. Yeah. So I just made it a little bit more modern. Yeah. Yeah. I love seeing the recurrence of phyllo dough within this. Phyllo. Do you yeah. use phyllo here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It should be used more because it's such a light pastry. It's wonderful. And it's just ready to go. Yeah, and it's so, I mean, you buy it or do you make it? No, I have made it, but there's, there's no point worth making it. Life's too short yeah. <laughs> to make phyllo pastry. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so you've made it before. Let's talk about having a sheeter. And- I've made it before and all the restaurants that I've worked in uh, don't make it. None yeah. of them. Yeah. Just buy it in. But it, it is such a wonderful, you know, textural thing. Yeah. And it is so light and airy and buttery already. But it doesn't have all the crazy calories. Exactly. All the, so it's just a smart vehicle to be mm-hmm. using throughout all these. So it's on top of the fish pie. It's on top of the fish pie because I think with a fish pie, because you've got all the fish in there, not much texture, you need a bit of crunch. So I'm going to save sweet for a second because we're going to take a quick break. But get ready for your scones and pasties i will do we're gonna be right back you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org see you soon The International Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. 
We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs> Your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Quiche Lorraine Pascal. <laughs> I love that. That's it's the hilarious. first time I've heard that. <laughs> I mean, did you get teased all the time about that? No, I don't think back then people knew that. I don't think my friends knew what quiche was. Yeah. <laughs> Better off. Yeah. So we were talking about fish pie, but let's talk about some of the sweeter things. Um, I mean, they're, they're actually, let's talk about one that is a little bit of both. I thought the most fascinating muffin recipe you had was the sweet potato, butternut squash, apple, and sage. And in the head note, you say, well, this was supposed to be a soup or initially was a soup. What was the thought process behind that? Um, I think I, I made it as a soup and it didn't really rock my boat. So I just thought, you know, you get pumpkin muffins. I thought, why not just try and throw it into a muffin? Well, that's what happened. That's a bit it. of apple yeah. for sweetness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all the muffins look lovely. All the photography in this book looks so, you know, bright. Yeah, I wanted to have it so the food spoke for itself so the food was king because often in recipe books which is fine for others but not for me where there's lots of sort of props and this and that and it's not the food that speaks out i just want the food to speak for itself yeah i mean so it was minimal in its structure but also in you know recipe i mean there is complexity in some of the techniques but the ideas are so straightforward um strawberry open tart yeah Tell me a little bit about that. Because when I first looked at it, I thought it was savory. You know, I thought it was like a caprese tart and it has those elements. Yeah, it does. I mean, um, I wanted to use a, a healthy pastry, which I did, and then a sort of cream filling, which wasn't too fattening. And then just something with lots of color. And the basil is such a beautiful combination with strawberries. And mint goes well too, so you can put both on. But just for something a bit extra, that basil and the, and the um, strawberry is just a wonderful, wonderful flavor. And the cream itself was a low-fat yogurt mixed with a little bit of low-fat cream cheese. Mm -hmm. So it's not your regular pastry cream that you're used to in these kind of tarts. No, but I put some icing sugar in just to remind everyone of of something very, very sweet. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So of the recipes in the book, do you have ones that you you know, cook more often than not? I do cook the Thai, the cookish... Uh, Thai fish pie a lot because it's a family favorite and it is super quick and it sort of sits in the fridge for a couple of days because we can't eat it all at once you know let's talk about family because I think it's a really interesting thing you have you have a daughter Ella yeah um and you have a bakehouse named after that where you serve cupcakes and the sweeter side of things do you cook or bake differently for your daughter than you do for your cookbooks or your general public no, um, I cook the same, really. Um, most of the recipes, that I, uh, all of the recipes I test at home, and my daughter gets to taste all of them. Uh, so she likes it when it's um, baking time and cooking time. But then after that, I kind of fall off a cliff and I don't cook for ages because yeah. I've already cooked 100 <laughs> recipes in like th- two months. Um, but I cook the same. Yeah. Yeah. And what does she like? Are there specific recipes that she leans towards? She has a very sweet tooth, so she loves all the cakes and bakes. Um, she loves really uh, sort of. She loves those fish. <laughs> she loves those fish sticks, and she loves the muffins. So I cook a whole lot of muffins, put them in the freezer, and then um, in the morning she just throws one in the microwave or the oven to have nice and warm. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you see? I mean, you've sold what over a million copies of your cookbooks in the UK alone. Mm-hmm. 
do you see your influence on British society on how people have changed the way that they cook and bake? I don't know how I've influenced it. All I can say is with my recipes, I like to make sure that every step is in the book because sometimes when you read a recipe, it says do this and then do this. And you're like standing there like, wait, what What happened? And so I like to say, now you put this in here and then at this stage, it might look a bit wrong, but carry on and it will come good. That yeah. kind of thing. So you've almost got like a guide on your shoulder, giving you confidence to just keep going with the recipe at every stage, knowing that you're on the right track. Yeah. I mean, did you have that? In school, in these professional kitchens, was there someone kind of over your shoulder watching you saying, no, you're doing it right, even though... No. No. <laughs> Just come along now and again and, and say you're doing it right or wrong. But I think it was the, the influence was greatly from the studying um, at Leith School of Food and Wine and then also when I went to university because you have to be very precise with each detail. And I think I took that and carried it through to my books. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about some of the stashes. What we haven't talked about is Selfridges. You know, which is a staple of London. Yes. Tell me what it is and what you did there. Well, I was introduced by Marco Pierre White to the food and beverage manager of Selfridges. A question about Marco. Mm-hmm. Is he lovely? He's lovely. Yeah. He's a man of wisdom. And he's always coming out of his quotes. Yeah. His life-changing quotes and sayings. Because white heat is kind of the best. It yeah. is the most influential, you know, cookbook for an aspiring cook well he's one of the kings of food you know i mean he trained under pierre kaufman where i've also worked um and he is he's an innovator and i yeah respect him so much is that latant claire yes but i now pierre kaufman is in the barclay hotel yeah under yeah kaufman's so i think it's funny you know i know so much about you know british restaurants you do i'm impressed every every once in a while you know i kind of check in over the pond yeah but I mean, these these are megastars that told you, you know, you should really pursue this. So obviously you had a gift. Why Selfridges? And, you know, what in Selfridges inspired you to bake more? Well, they were looking for someone to make Christmas cakes for their hampers and their general line on Christmas. Um, another supplier had actually let them down. And so I received a phone call from Selfridges saying, would you mind making 250 cakes for our hampers? Would you mind? And so <laughs> I said, okay, I just took on the challenge, not actually thinking about how, how tough it would be because my, in my small kitchen. And I ended up um, making it happen. Yeah, we baked 250 cakes, hand-decorated them. Then we had to box them. And it was quite difficult because all this health and safety, they have to go through tests and how long they're going to last for. So it was a pretty big deal, but a great triumph when I achieved it. Yeah, I mean, do you incorporate some of those you know, uh, um, ideas into your books now? Obviously, people aren't cooking in mass and volume the same way that you were there. Yeah, well... No, I mean, it's. I, I think that was the biggest challenge I've taken on to date, the 250 cakes. It was getting so close to the wire, all the other all the other things from all the other suppliers were ready for the hampers. My cakes weren't ready. I got everyone in that I possibly knew to box them up. Uh, they were in, and we boxed through the night and then we had to drive them up halfway up the UK to the stock, to, to be stocked. And then it was, it was a miracle that we got it done. It's funny. That's like the antithesis of, I feel like, who you are now. Uh, a lot of your books, a lot of your, you know, kind of mantra is made easy so you've done a lot of the hard work for us i hope so i want to make it easy because (laughs) cooking should be something fun right yeah and the worst thing is when you get a recipe and you follow it it doesn't work out and often people blame themselves but some recipes are not written that well 
So I'm hoping that doing it and making it easy, making it step by step, that people can really enjoy the cooking process and really feel happy with what they produce. I mean, what dishes do you think people are scared of? Because it seems daunting that you, you've simplified. I think a souffle can be quite daunting just because of the, the stick it gets. It's like it's really hard. They never work. But a souffle can be quite, it's really easy. It's really simple. Yeah. Um, but you just have to get rid of the fear of doing it. So tell me how it's simple because... I certainly have a lot of fear when it comes to souffles. I think making making sure you have a good recipe, uh, making things like tricks like putting a tray in the oven first so that the tray is hot. So when you put the souffle in the oven, it's already got that hot bottom heat so it shoots up more quickly. Leveling off the souffle before you put it on you know, into the oven. So it rises up nice and straight and loosening it all the way around as well because sometimes it can stick to the edges and, and be lopsided. So I just think it's get rid of your fear and just go for it. Because yeah. souffles are not that difficult. What else do you love cooking that people are, you know, scared of? Well, I think it's baking, isn't it? When you speak to people, baking sweet foods, when you speak to people, a lot of them say, oh, God, I just can't bake. Uh, but I think people can bake because it's no different to making something with chicken. Yeah. Um, it's just following the recipe. I love meringues. Meringues, a lot of people can't make meringues. But it's just a simple thing of whisking them up till they're nice and strong. I've got these espresso meringues dipped in chocolate, which look really difficult to do. But they're actually not. Yeah, they look lovely, by the way, too. <laughs> Again. And bread. You said you were good at bread. Uh, yeah, I could do bread. You can do uh, bread. Yeah. You find that easy. I, I don't feel like bread is as precise as pastry. No, it's, you're, you're right. With bread, you can kind of do it without a recipe almost. Sometimes, you know, Simple bread. It's, it's about like hydration. It's about this. But your breads are much more complex than that in my mind because no. you're adding nuts for texture, seeds for texture, you yeah. know. Um, but, you know, bread is often easier for me, but baking I've always been scared of. Well, like the, this kind of focaccia is, is really simple, but I think bread's easy. I think baking's easy. Sweet and savory. Yeah. Well... You you have a gift. You have a skill. <laughs> but I think it's it's also about confidence, isn't it? You've got to keep practicing because sometimes if it doesn't work out the first time, even if you have followed the recipe to the letter, then just don't be disheartened and, and try again. Well, I am going to try your, what is it, all grain, nutty, seedy. That is delicious. Yeah. Toasted in the in the morning with some butter. It's a soda bread too, right? Yeah, it's really quick. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that you have these recipes that seem so simple. And probably are very simple, but that you've added so many layers to them. You know, the nuts and the seeds, you don't usually see in a quick soda bread. Yeah, Even true. the form of the soda bread itself, you know, in the loaf pan. Yeah. Usually it's kind of a little flatter. You yeah, know, like that, a round. Yeah. Yeah, it was just, I like to take a recipe and make it a bit different. So it makes people go, oh, okay, I, I, I can relate to the recipe. I can relate to the dish, but I haven't tried it that way. Because sometimes if you do something that's too out there and, and, and wild, People don't relate to it and they won't make it. And then simple little procedures like Hasselbacking. Yeah. I I just learned about Hasselback potatoes for the first time yeah. last year. And it's where you take a potato and, you know, you, you cut it not lengthwise, but the other way slices so they're chips, but they don't cut all the way through. Yeah. And you apply that to, uh, uh, what is it, an apple? Yeah. You can do it with apples and pears. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I'm taking something that's a tried and tested technique and just doing it with something other than... Um, a potato. You have not lost your sweet tooth because there's a wonderful fudgy chocolate cakey brownie thing. Yeah, it's more cakey than fudgy, I have to say, because to make a chocolate brownie that's really, really light in sugar and butter is quite impossible. So I've said in the heading, look, I know this is not a fudgy, fudgy brownie, I know, but it, it's, it's good. Yeah. And you can eat a lot more of it 
<laughs> than and if it was. It has orange and beet in it. Oh, that one. Yeah. yeah that yeah. Be- I mean, beetroot is something that really adds a lot of moisture to a cake. And it sounds really odd because you think, why would you put beetroot in a cake? But it adds moisture, it adds flavor, and it adds a sweetness. Yeah. Do you know red velvet cake? Of course. Yeah. So, I mean, initially, a lot of beetroot was used in the red velvet cake, and now we've kind of... Yeah, it goes a kind of burgundy, though. Yeah. It's not really the lovely red that we know of a red velvet. It's yeah. It's the trouble with, with a red velvet cake made with, bur- with, made with beetroot. Beet. Yeah. You say beet. Beet. Not beetroot. Beetroot. No. We say beetroot. Yeah. Well, no, I'm... But you say I'm beet. I'm more efficient than you are. So, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll change it to beet. Excellent. Um, again, with this book and all your books you're trying to encourage people to cook more but not just for themselves for their family for others yeah i think um in this culture it's so easy to buy convenience foods which have their place of course but to be able to cook some wonderful food for your family it really brings people together it's a great talking point everyone can come and actually look each other in the eye and have a chat because so much is done over emails and phone calls and everyone's so busy so and it's very nourishing to cook as well it's something good for the soul for the person cooking and of course sharing that with others is a wonderful thing so from start to the end app to dessert what would be your ideal meal with friends and family um well i think i'd start with some coconut shrimp not prawns you say shrimp right i i'm allergic to shrimp so i don't even say it at all okay well you can have the mango (laughs) salad underneath (laughs) <laughs> Sounds good. Good deal. Um, and then I'd probably have um, the feet, the, then I'd probably, I'd have the chicken with the uh, soy and honey. Um, and then I'd finish it off. i finish it off with a vanilla and white chocolate cake with raspberries and almonds. That yeah. Sound, that sounds pretty. So you've got a lot of color, a lot of flavor and a whole lot of delicious food. So you still have a lot of style. Obviously modeling helped you kind of hone some of that, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's funny. When I was modeling, I wasn't really in into style so much. I was a bit of a scruff bag, really. But I suppose you always see uh, amazing clothes. You're working with amazing people. Uh, they're so inspiring. Um, you're doing all these wonderful shows, colors, um, and you go to amazing places and eat in lots of amazing restaurants. Yeah. Even though maybe as a model, it might not be eating as much as other people. But you do get to see, and it all goes in the brain. And I think, yeah, so to me, the way the book looks, the way the food looks, it has to be beautiful. It has to be different. Yeah, and I see the recall from your, obviously, uh, well-traveled. You know, you have the Thai, you have the Moroccan influence. You have so much going on in this book. Uh, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit. I mean, what beach did you shoot on, and what were the native foods? Um, we were on a catamaran in the Galapagos Islands. We were there for like 10 days to do about three pictures. And um, we, they just cooked um, American foods and Mexican food. On the, this, we were on this dry, the trimaran, huge thing. Yeah. And we just sailed around the islands taking pictures. Yeah. So unfortunately, sadly and embarrassingly, um, I didn't taste any of the local food. Mexican food, though. Mexican food, yeah. yeah. It's near, near enough. Yeah, you said you're in New York trying <laughs> to find a little bit of good Mexican food. There's a lot of good Mexican food in New York. Yeah. Yeah. What do you miss over in London? I mean, what, what do you hope gets exported to wherever you travel next? What, in the food space in the UK? Yeah. Oof, I don't know. I think, I think the UK has great chocolate. I really do. Yeah. I think there should be yeah, more of British chocolate around. I think it's underestimated. Excellent. Have you been to Myers and Keswick in the West Village? I used to go there when I lived here, yes. Yeah. Still, is it still there? Oh, absolutely. And oh, the cat. my goodness. Yeah. Myers of Keswick, yeah. yes. Because I feel like that's 
pretty much the limit of what we have when it comes to British food. And, well, know. I used to go there to top up, but it, it's so expensive compared, obviously, sorry, Miser Keswick, but it's true, <laughs> compared to when you're at home. But it was lovely to have that, you know, when you travel and you're missing a certain thing. It's nice to go there and get some meat British pies, food. Some bangers. Some Marmite, some Cadbury's chocolate, all that kind of thing. Yeah. So if you need to get your fill while in New York, you know, you go to Myers at Keswick. Otherwise, you pick up this book and you start baking away. It's so sweet. You say Keswick. What? How much? Keswick. I feel like I've gotten like quite the vocabulary lesson for this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, but it should be Keswick, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's Keswick. Keswick. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That's why I probably don't get the service I deserve there. He's saying their name wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Next time I go into Myers at Keswick, I'll say Lorraine sent me. Do. Thank you so much for being on. Lighter Way to Bake is out right now. All your cookbooks are available via Amazon and local bookstores. And I just can't wait to see what next influence you have on us. Mm, thank thank you, you so much for being on the show. Lorraine Pascal, I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here on the food scene next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.